On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks snap a four-game losing streak. They do it with some drama, as they are wont to do this season. Back and forth in the final minutes, but some heroics from DeJounte Murray, a big shot from Troy Young, uh, good nights from DeAndre Hunter and John Collins, and an overall team victory on the road. We'll get into all that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1383 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you deep into the night on a Wednesday into Thursday here in early January. And today's show is going to break down what became a very nice win for the Atlanta Hawks on the road in Sacramento. I also want to encourage you, as always, to make this podcast Lots on Hawks, of course, your first listen each and every day. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey app, Google Play, and also we are on video over at YouTube. And we definitely encourage you to listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I do thank you for being here, as always. We'll dive into the game now, and quite honestly, it was a back-and-forth one. There was lots of drama. It was very closely played the entire game. There was no double-digit lead by either side. And just the quarter-by-quarter breakdowns, first quarter, dead even. Second quarter, three-point margin. Third quarter, dead even. Fourth quarter, dead even. And it was lots of back-and-forth and and, uh, lots of drama in this one. In fact, the Hawks led led them for the majority of the second half. And it was never comfortable. They were certainly in control at times. But then uh, after a an ill-timed run by the Kings, Atlanta trailed by four points with about 70 seconds to go. And from that point forward, it was awesome for the Hawks. They executed very well down the stretch and a nice sh- shift from previous nights when the Hawks have struggled in crunch time. But overall, some good vibes on this night for the Hawks. And they, they will certainly, at the very least, avoid a, uh, a winless road trip. And they now snap a four-game losing streak. They had been 4-10 in the last 14 games. That is now uh, in the rearview mirror as well. So lots of positivity on this particular evening. And we'll get into all the context of what transpired now on the show. And uh, basically, this is a game where it was a coin flip in the betting market as well. The folks at Bet Online are our sponsor and our friends over there made the Hawks a about a point underdog, one, one and a half at tip off in this game, which kind of tells the story in a lot of ways. We talked about this with uh, Greg Wissinger on the show yesterday, but basically everyone kind of agreed that I talked to like, this is one of those games. that's like almost a true coin flip and it played out that way. Uh, The Kings were on a back-to-back with travel, which is part of the reason why it was so so much of a coin flip because obviously going on the road, the Kings have been better than the Hawks this year. I'm not sure that the Kings are better than the Hawks, but they've been better better than the Hawks this year. And, uh, but sort of leveling the playing field there uh, with the back-to-back with travel, the Hawks had not had to travel since uh, going to West Coast originally and San Francisco is just down the street basically Sacramento. The Hawks did win the first time around against the Kings at home before Thanksgiving, uh, but the only injury on either side in this game was Capella. Uh, obviously a huge one there. The Hawks are not the same team without Clint, and uh, that was still the case in this game, but uh, all, all things considered, all, a pretty uh, neutral matchup going into the night, and uh, again, it played out that way. The Hawks had one early run. It was 8-2 to two in the first few minutes of this one. The last bucket was actually a beautiful lob from Trey to John Collins for a monster dunk, the, and the first six field goals in the game came in the paint for Atlanta. And I wrote this in my, in my preview, by the way, over at patreon.com slash BT Roland. But the vulnerability for the Kings, really above all, on either side of the floor, is their interior defense. Demonis Sabonis is a very good player. He's not a very good rim protector, nor a good anchor for a defense. And that, that, that is kind of one of the reasons why the Kings are pretty bad defensively. Now, it's not just him by any means. But the Hawks, I think, understood that and attacked that throughout the game. The Kings are bottom five in the league in rim defense and points allowed in the paint. And the Hawks were certainly getting into the paint with regularity in this game, which is a positive, uh, just kind of entering the game and kind of knowing what your opponent can and cannot do. 
The Kings also were kind of cold early on, missing some shots around the rim that they usually make, I would say. Uh, rotationally, there was a little bit of a tweak in this game that I want to get into now. But Donovich has been a sub, um, first sub off the bench for the, for the last little while. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he's their sixth man in a lot of ways. He came, but he came in for Trey Young. Now, early in the season, the Hawks tried this, where they would sit Trey for a couple minutes in the middle of the first quarter and the third quarter and then bring him back in. And then... But usually, for the last couple years, basically, Trey has played almost always the entire first quarter and the entire third quarter. I'm not sure if this is going to be a full full blown change moving forward, but this game, he sat for about two minutes or so in the middle of the quarter both times um, and then came back in the game. Now, that kind of led to Trey playing fewer minutes overall in this one, which is uh, certainly something to circle moving forward. But uh, that was at least a notable tweak to me. They played a very small end up at one point with Trey, uh, Aaron Holiday, Bogey, Hunter, and a Kongwu. That's a, probably too small of a lineup for me. And then they also played Kaminsky for a couple of minutes in the first quarter of this game uh, alongside Collins. At least that was at least probably a little bit better to play him with Collins if you have to play him at all. But uh, immediately, the Hawks allowed three layups in about a minute and a half, and that was the end of the Frank Kaminsky experience. Um, Jalen Johnson played a few minutes after that as well. But it was 30 to 30 at, the, 30 at the end of the first quarter, but neither team was efficient offensively. It was kind of weird. Um, if you look at the box score, all of the point totals look pretty similar quarter to quarter. The first half was basically – extremely fast pace and not very efficient. So obviously a lot of points scored, but it was mostly mostly pace driven. In the second half, both teams were more efficient and made a lot more shots and were kind of not making as many mistakes. The pace was a lot lower, which is probably more favorable to Atlanta in a game that the Kings are used to playing very fast and kind of frantically, and we saw that throughout this one. Um, the Hawks did not shoot well from three-point range early on. They actually missed their first four, but they were uh, really good getting into the lane, 22 points in the paint in the first quarter, but they had six turnovers. That was kind of the one, the one bright, uh, sorry, the one uh, dark spot in this game. Offensively, it was the lack of ball security for Atlanta, but defensively, it was all right, except for the Frank Kaminsky minutes. I will say that. But uh, anyway, we'll get into the second quarter now. Uh, rotationally, again, AJ Griffin did not come in until the second, until the second quarter. That's been kind of a theme the last few games. I, I don't really mind it. Hawks fans kind of panicked on on uh, on Monday when he didn't play until the, until the second quarter, but AJ has still clearly been the seventh man. In this stretch, he just hasn't played as early as he was playing previously. And I'm not sure if that's because they want to get him sort of, um, you know, staggered with Trey Young a little bit, have, have more firepower when Trey's off the floor. But AJ came in later and played plenty of minutes in this game. Jalen Johnson, again, a small, a small period of time. And really the first half, they kind of split one small rotation spot between Kaminsky and Jalen Johnson, which is not a crazy thing. But for the entire game, the two of them combined for six minutes. So it was mostly an eight-man rotation, uh, and really almost seven because Aaron Holiday played very sparingly in the second half. So they were uh, pretty tight. The Hawks are trying to get wins, and they're definitely trying to push with their minutes, and that was very obvious in this game. Uh, Murray was really aggressive in this one, especially early on. He wasn't getting all the way to the rim, but sort of getting in that comfortable like six- to eight-foot range where he definitely loves to get that little pull-up jump shot. Um, they briefly lost, lost the lead in the second quarter. And then, uh, again, basically led the entire way after that until the final couple minutes, but never comfortably. Again, it was like in that six to eight to nine to four. Like it was, all, it was always kind of in that range in this game. Uh, late in the first half, there was a technical foul spree. Uh, Collins got fouled, I thought, pretty clearly. It wasn't like the worst foul I've ever seen, but it was certainly a foul if you watch the replay. And it led to a live ball run out by the Kings. Uh, Trey and Nate got technical fouls at the same time, which is not usually what you'd see. Um, the, the broadcast uh, also showed Nate. I'm not sure the audio was there, but definitely uh, mouthing what he was saying to the officials. He was not very happy. I can't repeat that in the air, but it was not a, not a positive comment from Nate at that point in time. But no big harm done. The Hawks were up by three at the halftime break. They ended up not scoring extremely well in the first half, but it was plenty fine, honestly. Like a 114-ish offensive rating. That's a pretty bad defense. It's not crazy good, but still not bad either. 
and they were really good around the rim. Uh, only four or 14 from three, but they were, uh, they definitely cleaned up the turnovers a little bit in the second quarter and had four guys in double figures. We'll come back to that later on because the Hawks had a pretty pretty uh, eye-popping stat with regard to the balanced scoring in this game, especially when compared to uh, Monday, et cetera. Uh, but defensively, again, because of the high scoring, it was kind of throw off the set. The defense was pretty good in the first in the first half. Uh, it was definitely not as bad as it was probably in the, on the scoreboard if you kind of uh, take a, d- a deeper look into what transpired in the numbers. Anyway, there's plenty to get to from the second half of this contest, and I uh, definitely sort of uh, some back and forth at the very, very end, some uh, tense moments as the Hawks nearly let one get away, but we'll have a full breakdown of all that and more. But first, it were from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you look at a delicious treat, but don't want all the fat and the calories, really need to try Built Bar as your best option. We just finished the holidays, of course, and one of my goals this year is to eat a little bit better. And if you're anything like me, you want to get up that taste and uh, all of that to only to eat healthy. Built Bar is a perfect option to have taste and healthy because with Built Bar, healthy is actually tasty, and they're so delicious that you won't believe that they're actually good for you. Built Bars are 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside, and they come in a ton of awesome flavors. Peanut butter brownie among them. Built Bars also taste like a candy bar, honestly, with 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. You also don't have to wait around to get a box today. For a long time, I've been telling you to get your Built Bars at Built.com, and that is still a great option for you if you want to go ahead and do that. But you can also get them locally at Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Walk into the pharmacy section of a Walmart and grab a box of Built Bars, including a four-bar box by personal favorite cookies and cream or if you're closer to sam's run in and get a 13 bar box at sam's make sure to check out everything you're looking for at built bar today built.com walmart sam's and start your new year right with built bar all right and the third quarter uh had a actually a 9-0 run from the hawks that was their biggest single run of the of the day but because the game was tied when it happened the lead never got to double digits um that was that was the largest lead and they led by nine a few times in the third quarter actually they made four threes in the first like five and a half minutes of the second half one was a very like extra pass, pretty swing pass from Collins to Hunter for an open three. Defensively, they got beat twice back door in a sequence. It wasn't perfect. As I said before, the efficiency was way up on offense in the second half. Um, again, the mid-quarter exit from Trey happened again in the third quarter. They came back quickly again. They did trim the rotation down. Um, no Kaminsky in the second half and very, very briefly Jalen Johnson. But Collins got his fourth foul in the final two minutes of the third quarter. It was a moving screen. He didn't really have the feel with Trey that you would want to on that one. And Okongwu has been in foul trouble a lot. I won't say it was his fault in this game. There were a couple of questionable ones for sure. They went back to Collins at that point, And Collins spent a lot of five in this game. Um, the Hawks did lead the entire way in the third quarter. But again, it ended up being a, a dead even period. Um, they sh- the Hawks did shoot the ball well, though. 50% from the floor and four day from three in the third, but similarly, so do the Kings, basically. And the Hawks had about a 120 offensive rating through three quarters. In the fourth, they opened with Jalen Johnson on the floor. And so they actually played nine guys in the second half, technically. But I'm not 100% certain, if you go by the rotation, that Jalen would have played in the second half, if not for a Kongu being in foul trouble. Because he only played two minutes. It was Kongu was back from there. Uh, it was kind of a weird deployment situation. But as soon as Kongu came back in, he got his fifth foul in like 20 seconds and had to sit again again uh, with like, I don't know, 10, 11 minutes to go. They, w- they went back to Hunter this, this time and, and went smaller. But And I also think Nate probably should have challenged that play. It wasn't a huge leverage play, but I think, number one, it was a bad call. And number two, it's probably worth it to keep Kongwu available. Uh, but he didn't do that anyway. Uh, it was pretty a quiet game from AJ Griffin in a lot of ways, but he had a really, really nice under control floater going to his right on the baseline. That was uh, a reminder of like, he's just under control, like in a way that most 19 year olds are not. That was uh, also when the lead was down by two, sorry, the lead was down two two 
and that was a nice uh, sort of big swing in Atlanta's favor. Uh, Murray, who ended up being the hero later on, had a really bad stretch mid fourth mid fourth quarter. He had two turnovers in a row, and also had a, had a bunny where he like he missed like a five footer, like honestly almost airballed it short. It was kind of like, is he gassed or what's going on here? And he actually came out of the game right after that, which I think he was tired at that point, if I had to guess. But the Hawks had a bunch of turnovers in the first few minutes of the, th- of the fourth quarter. Um, and Trey, I thought, probably sat too long to begin the fourth quarter. Something he might, I know I mentioned it once before, but Trey played 32 minutes in this game. And that's pretty low for a game where he had no injury, no foul trouble. And I think it was because they kind of didn't change the second and fourth, second and fourth quarter rotations. If you're going to take him out in the middle of the first and third quarters, you probably have to get him back in earlier in the second and fourth, because otherwise you're playing your best player 31 and a half minutes in a game where it was close the entire way, which isn't like crazy, crazy low. I'm not like angry about it, but you know, Nate said after the game that he wanted to keep Trey and DeJounte fresh to play on both ends of the floor. And that's not a bad thing. Look, you know, if Trey needs more energy. I get all that. If he needs it on defense, that makes that at least makes logical sense to me. But I don't think there's a world where Trey should be playing 31 and a half minutes in a competitive, close fought game like this with no back to back, all that stuff. So keep that in mind. It's kind of a weird back and forth, but there you go. Um, the Kings did tie it about 90 seconds later, and then the Hawks had a 7 0 run that looked like they kind of broke the game open. Bogey hit a three, Hunter hit a jump shot, and then Collins had a nice reverse layup. Um, that was the first time that the Hawks kind of felt safe again for a while, but then it was not safe. There was a timeout with about four minutes to go. Uh, of course, Kevin Herter, who played very well for the Kings in this game, hit a three on the first possession after that. And then um, the Hawks had kind of a lost possession on offense. Murray kind of fumbled the ball away. Collins had to get it and launch it to beat the shot clock. It was kind of just a, obviously an obvious heave that he just barely drew, drew rim on. And then the Kings scored again. So the lead was basically gone in a hurry. Um, I will say – Murray scored quickly after that to get the lead back to four, which was nice. And then De'Aaron Fox had a dunk over a Kongwu that was uh, certainly making the rounds across the country. It was a heck of a heck of a play by him. And then Trey turned it over, and the Kings had the ball again, down two. And uh, on cue again, Kevin Herter, hit, old friend, hits a three for the lead. So that was the first time the Hawks had trailed in the entire second half. They had been tied several times, but they hadn't trailed since the middle of the second quarter. And then Trey missed one. It was not an awful shot. But it felt like it was kind of a hero ball kind of shot. And the Hawks, given how much success they were having getting to the rim, they just they kind of didn't need it in my mind. Kind of a bad shot in some ways. Um, and then De'Aaron Fox comes down after the miss by Trey and three-point play. And suddenly the lead is four for the Kings. So after the Hawks were, again, not comfortable, but certainly leading and in control of the game, the lead evaporates. And now you're down four with about 70 seconds to go. And at one point during that stretch, the Kings scored 13 points on six possessions. Do the math on that. That means the Kings were averaging more than two points per possession during that run. Now, that's a pair of threes from Herter and three-point play from Fox. There was one stop in there, so 13 points on five of the six possessions because they made a bunch of threes, but that's how you lose games is if you just cannot get any kind of stop and it's three points per possession, et cetera, at the end of the game. So that was kind of on brand for how it's been going for the Hawks for quite some time. Fortunately, the rest of the game was not because they were resilient in this spot. They called a timeout, down four, and look, you're the underdog there at that point. After all that, you're the underdog, down four with like, with like a minute 10 to go. But an important play that I think got overlooked in this one was Trey, out of that timeout, got right to the rim, drew a foul, three-point play within like seven or eight seconds. That was a huge play. It was quick. They got the lead back to one, and uh, the Hawks were playing small at that point in time. 
But uh, the Hawks don't make this comeback without that, without that play. Obviously, the Murray stuff was more high profile, but that was a sneaky, important play. Um, anyway, the Kings got the ball to, to Sabonis against a small lineup with Bogey in place of Okongo, which is the right decision. But the Hawks wisely wrapped him up and fouled him on a spot where he could have been, could have been a layup. Um, and Sabonis does the Hawks a huge favor. And look, close games, you have to have some good fortune. The Hawks haven't had a lot of, a lot of good fortune in these close games. Like the other night against Golden State, a lot of bad things happened. A lot of unlucky things happened. They, did, they didn't play well at the end, all that stuff. But in this game, they had some good fortune. One of those things was Sabonis missing both throws. And at that point, the Kings were 25 of 25 from the line. And then Sabonis goes to the line and misses both in the final minute. That's helpful. Obviously, you know, on, on one hand, you're unlucky that they're that good at the line because no team usually is 25 25 at the line. And for the game, they're 25 27. That's 93%. Obviously, that's not like a lucky break, but because of the timing, that was generous from the Kings. Um, they get the rebound. Trey draws a foul. It was immediately challenged and successfully so by the Kings. And it was the right call. It was not a foul. It looked kind of like a weird, like a weird play, but it was not a foul. But the Hawks, crucially, still had the ball. So they got the ball back but they had to kind of hurry. So they had kind of a weird timeout situation down one, 34 seconds to go eight on the shot clock. And the Hawks executed very well. I'm not sure if it was the call play or what happened there, but basically um, Murray inbounds to Hunter and then cuts hard to the rim. Hunter drops it off. Murray gets a, has a head of steam getting, that, getting down the lane. Honestly, almost made it for three point play misses it, but gets fouled, makes both free throws. And that stretch where it goes from trade three point play to stop, to that free throw free throw stretch by Murray, you go from down forward up by one. And that was a great play in a number of ways. Number one, just a good look. You get, you get a good player, an all-star player going downhill against a bad defense on the interior. Also, it was so quick that it was a two for one for the Hawks. So he was fouled with like 30 seconds to go. And that meant that the Kings were going to have trouble going fast enough to get a two for one and the Hawks were going to get the ball back if they needed it. And of course, he makes both free throws. Huge play. Now, then the, the actual biggest play of the game was the DeJounte Murray steal. So the Hawks are up by one. Nothing's comfortable there, but he picks the pocket of De'Aaron Fox, who's a star-level guard, and just he just picks it. And I, I, I had somebody uh, tweet at me immediately. I guess I had talked about DeJounte Murray's defense being a little bit disappointing in the last couple of games on my podcast earlier this week, and I stand by that, by the way. But one thing that is true about Murray is that, number one, he tends to make these big plays, and number two, he's really, really good at getting steals. So that's all true. I still stand by Murray's not probably as good of a defender as people think that he is, but obviously his steal creation is impressive. He's level leading steals before, and that uh, definitely popped up at that point in time. So a huge steal, finishes in transition, and the Hawks are up by three with 17 seconds to go. But obviously, it's not over at that point. So after a timeout, the Hawks take bogey out, but leave Trey in again. So I don't know what the deal is there. Honestly, I'd like to know what the thought process was. I think my, my best guess is that maybe Nate wants Trey in there if you get a stop and the Kings have to foul. Or if the Kings go quick two, which they actually tried to do, you have Trey in the game to immediately inbound to and get fouled. That's my best guess. Now, is that a great explanation? Maybe not, but that's my best guess. Anyway, um, kind of weirdly, it was a quick two from the Kings, but it wasn't like a good shot. They had they had Fox take like an eight footer that he missed. Uh, Sabonis got the rebound, which was a good play by him, but uh, good defense all the way around by everyone involved by, by the Hawks on that, on that last possession. They missed again. They secure the rebound. Trey, after a Kongwu, smartly gets it to him. Uh, so so that there, if there is a foul, it's Trey. And uh, basically. The Kings inexplicably didn't foul Trey. I know they probably didn't want to foul Trey in particular, but they, they couldn't have, they couldn't afford to wait at that point in time. Trey kind of gathers, waits, waits, throws the ball long, which was smart to, to burn more time, and no foul ever happens. The Hawks escape with the win. So obviously there's a lot to get into there, but a couple like 
broad things. As I said it before, there was that one stretch defensively where the Hawks just could not get a stop. That is not good. I will say the Kings are very good offensively. And without Capella, the Hawks were playing small units and they were playing a little bit undersized, all that stuff. Um, so it's not like crazy. And look, Herder makes two threes. He's a great, he's a great shooter. Fox is foul on a three-point shot. It is what it is. But offensively, the Hawks made enough plays. There was a stretch late in the fourth quarter where Atlanta's uh, slowdown offense kind of re- reared its ugly head. And the Hawks, I think, have famously really struggled when it's become ISO ball, hero ball from the guards. There was a little bit of that, but not a lot of that. There was only a couple possessions where I really, really was frustrated by the offense um, late in the fourth quarter. But uh, once they got down, they executed very well. Again, Trey three-point play was huge. The imbalance, the imbalance play to set up Murray for free throws was huge. And then the steal, and then the steal by Murray was huge. But defensively, they made enough plays on the stretch. And uh, anyway, a lot to get to. But that was uh, sort of the wrap-up on what transpired at the end of the game. And uh, certainly a fun, a fun escape win for the Hawks. We'll get into my takeaways from the game, my observations on the offense and the defense, as well as the players, and much more. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know the success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. And that's why you've checked out LinkedIn Jobs right now. LinkedIn Jobs helps you qualify higher qualified candidates more efficiently by matching your open roles, people that have the skills, the values, and the experiences to help you achieve your goals. I've used LinkedIn Jobs a few times to hire in the past. It's proved to be an amazing resource that really makes life and the hiring process easy and painless. LinkedIn Jobs also helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to, help to get your open jobs with targeting tools. And they go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job posts, company, and their millions of member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates while still doing it for free and quickly. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. And we all have goals for the new year, of course. And having the right people around you is huge for making that happen. Checking out LinkedIn Jobs will be very wise. And small businesses write LinkedIn Jobs number one. And delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the most qualified candidates you want to talk to, and they help you to do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. It was definitely an offense first win for the Hawks. Not a huge surprise against the Kings. The Kings are much better on offense than they are on defense. And uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to sort of grade on a curve through that. But if you look at the way this game transpired, the offense was, the offense was better, than, better than defense, which is not a huge surprise. Without Capella, uh, the Hawks are an offense first team already and maybe even more so. I know the stats, the stats this year don't really back that up because the Hawks on offense are uh, underachieving. But personnel-wise, without Capella, definitely offense first team. And the Hawks' offense was good in this game. A 119 offensive rating for the game. They shot 65% from two-point range. That's, that's an excellent number. They were 20-22 at the line. That's very good as well. And they did a good job for most of the game taking advantage of Sacramento's interior weaknesses on defense. They were only 10 of 30 from three, but after a bad first quarter, they were 10 of 26, which is like 38 39%. That's a good number, obviously. Um, the only real issue offensively in this game was the turnovers. 16, that's not a terrible number, but it's more than the Hawks average. They only average about 13. But I will say only one in the final seven minutes. So they cleaned it up at the, at the most important time of the game. I think everyone would agree on that. And good balance from the Hawks in this game. Five guys with at least 17 points. Also, the second straight game where the Hawks had at least four players score 20-plus points in the same game. Now, that's impressive sounding, but here's a crazy stat for you from Hawks PR. Uh, this is the first time since 1969, yes, 1969, 50-plus years ago, that the Hawks had – Four guys score 20 points or more in two straight games. So balance is not really what the Hawks are known for in the Trey Young era. It's mostly a top-down offensive system. But in this, in, the, in these last two games, they've been very balanced. And that was the case in this one as well. Uh, defensively, it was not fantastic throughout. 
It was enough. They did a good job on the defensive glass. Importantly, that was an area that I was concerned about without Capella in this matchup was the Hawks giving up second chance opportunities, but they really got a good job uh, by Kongwu in particular and Collins in particular on the glass in the second half. And uh, I think Collins, yeah, Collins had 12 defensive rebounds to lead everyone in the entire game. Um, Hunter had seven. That's a much better number than he usually, pr- that he usually produces. Murray had five. Bogey had six. It was a group effort for sure, but uh, a, a good job by everybody there. Uh, they did lose a tournament battle, which is not a great sign for the Sox team, but, uh, you know, free throw wise, probably allowed a little bit too many. The Kings did shoot well from three, but not a huge volume. So it wasn't like they dominated anywhere defensively in this game, but it was just good enough. And about a one, like 17 defensive rating in this game. That's not good, but given the personnel, given the opponent, given the venue, that's not a terrible performance. And offensively, it was uh, very, very good to kind of override, to sort of override any, defe- any defensive weaknesses that the Hawks might have had in this game. So player by player, uh, a pretty short rotation, as I mentioned before. Kaminsky played two minutes. Um, it was very clear on tape on that, on that, on that stretch that defensively, he is not going to give you much around the rim. Jalen Johnson had a rebound and assist and in, uh, actually made a bucket in his four minutes, but that didn't play very much. Um, you know, I'm not sure... I would have probably given Jalen a little bit more time in his matchup, honestly, if it was me. I'm not really sure why they tried Kaminsky, to be honest. Um, Aaron Holiday was a small bit player, had two points in nine, nine, nine minutes, no assists, had a foul, minus five. Like, I don't think he was bad. He just kind of was out there, didn't really do much um, in the way of making a difference. Um, Bogdanovich had a, a mixed bag kind of game, 17 points off the bench. He was the only guy on the bench that really scored much at all, um, but had eight rebounds, six defensive, three assists, and a steal. He was four of seven on, sorry, four of six on twos, three of seven on threes. Efficient there. Defensively, it was not very good, but I think he was uh, also of note. This is only the second time he's ever played in Sacramento as, a, as an opposing player, and the first time with fans in the stands. Because last year he was, uh, he didn't actually not make the trip to Sacramento. He, I believe he was on the on the COVID list. So uh, a, a nice little homecoming there for Bogey. But I thought he played reasonably well defensively. Kind of a you know so so game, but alas, um, AJ Griffin. Five points, two assists, and a rebound. He was quiet. He only took six shots. One of five from three. His one two-point make was nice. His, his one three was nice as well. I don't think he was great, but he was just kind of okay and plugged that hole, and they had to have somebody else play minutes. And he played a bunch of minutes in the fourth quarter, which were uh, useful. Um, of the starters, the only guy who did not, who did not score 20, 21 points or more was Okongwu. I thought he played well, though. Okongwu had foul trouble in this game, but he kind of you know went toe-to-toe with Simone a few times. Eight points, seven rebounds, had a block. Had an assist, three five from the floor. It, it was quiet in the numbers, but I think I think he played better than that. I don't think he was I don't think he was great, but I thought he played fine. Other, other than the foul trouble, he did his job. He bowed up defensively, some good protection numbers uh, along the way. So good night there from Okongwu. Um, Murray was the star of the night at the end. Twenty one points, four four assists, three steals, including the biggest one of the game at the end. Um, six rebounds. 8 of 17 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 fourth of the line. Uh, I don't think he was like brilliant in this game, but obviously the heroics at the end override a lot of that stuff. I thought he played fine overall. Uh, he was better defensively than he has been in the last couple games before this, even before the big steal at the end, but I thought he was just solid enough. Trey, same, uh, you know, kind of kind of weird game from Trey, honestly. He was pretty passive by Trey standards. Uh, until the end, I think he only, I think he only, only taken like eight shots until like the last five minutes of the game. Only ended up only up, ended up with twelve. He only took two threes, which is a very low number. And by the way, the second one, the one that he missed, was that bad shot at the very end. So he only, he only took one three in the first like forty six minutes. Kind of a weird weird one there from Trey. Had five turnovers, six assists. That's a bad ratio for him in particular. Twenty one points. I don't think Trey was 
bad offensively, just kind of a quieter night than he is used to. And again, like I said before, he didn't play a lot in this game by his standards. So um, mixed bag, but he was active enough. And uh, that three point, the three point play with about a minute to go was uh, a big shot. Uh, Hunter and Collins, though, were my standouts of the game. Obviously, Murray is the hero by the end, but I thought Murray and Collins, uh, sorry, Hunter and Collins were the guys that like I would circle as like better than usual performances. Uh, Hunter was quite good, I thought, 22 points, eight rebounds, had two steals, an assist, uh, two turnovers, but he was, uh, they, they definitely used his mismatch ability in this game very well. I think the Hawks are quick to go to that probably too often, but in a game against the Kings where they didn't really have anybody to stop him, anybody to stop him at the rim, he was, uh, yeah, seven of 10 on twos. That's a very high number of two point attempts for him. Only two of seven on threes, but that's fine. Get him up as much as he wants to. But uh, I think he figured out, and Hunter doesn't always do this kind of stuff, he figured out that he could attack the rim and wouldn't wouldn't be really slowed down. And once he once he had that, that was uh, part of the arsenal, which was effective. And then defensively, he was pretty good, I thought, as well. Um, and then Collins. I thought Collins was the best player for the Hawks in this game, probably. 22 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, two steals, two blocks. Just did everything across the board. He was 7-11 from the floor, 2-4 from three. Um, six of six at the free throw line. Just a balanced, good offensive game, good defensive game. And, uh, yeah, just strong across the board. By the way, I'll show also mention that Hunter had 16 in the second half, which was a big stretch for him. Collins, the big stat of the night for him, from again, from Hawks PR, is that he became the second player in franchise history. Yes, franchise history. It's a long time. Obviously, he's the longest tenured Hawk. He's been around for a long time now. But he, anytime you join a list that only has Dominic Wilkins on it in Hawks history, you've done a good job. And that is where Collins was in this game as the second player to ever have 5,000 points 2,500 rebounds and 303 pointers in their Hawks career. Obviously, there's a, those are arbitrary endpoints. So I'm not saying Collins is like on the pantheon of Hawks all time. He's not, but that's obviously a good place to be. And he had a good night in this one. So uh, you know, everybody was good across the board. It wasn't like anybody was terrible in this game at all. The Hawks played well. They didn't play an A plus game, but it was a B plus game. Like they they did their job on the road in particular, in the middle of a road trip. And uh, some certainly improved vibes compared to the end of the game on Monday and uh, previously because they were certainly sort of in a downward spiral before this one. Um, last thing before we get out of here, uh, as I record this, it's now January 5th as I record this. And this is actually the day that NBA teams can now sign players to 10-day contracts. Now, it would not stun me to see if the Hawks use that. Um, I have been saying for a while, I think correctly, that the Hawks want to avoid the luxury tax. And that's kind of why they've done certain things like keeping Vic Krejci and signing Tyrese Martin to a full deal rather than a two-way, et cetera. Kevin Hurtray being the most prominent among them. But 10 days are cheap, and I think that if the Hawks want to cycle through, like for instance, if Capella is going to be out for a little while longer, we don't, we don't really know still at this point. He's on the road trip, but that's kind of the only update that we've gotten. Um, it would not stun me if the Hawks started signing some 10-day contracts because those are, again, pretty cheap. You can cycle through. Just look, look at some guys and kind of uh, without without really threatening the luxury tax. So keep that in eye. Keep keep an eye on that. This is the again that, that starts today as you're listening to this podcast on the fifth of January. And the Hawks do have about a million plus under the tax line. Even when you account for likely incentives, they, they do have to be mindful of the unlikely incentives for Murray and Capella. But those are not none of, none of those right now are on track to actually convey. So if the Hawks are worried about the about the tax, they have some wiggle room now under that number. So keep that in mind as well. Anyway, from here, the Hawks go to Los Angeles. So not the longest trip in the world when you're already out there in Northern California, but I have to go down to to L.A. for the weekend. And uh, that interesting weekend trip in Los Angeles. Nightlife is always interesting there. Uh, Teams don't always play all that well 
in LA when they're there for three days. Um, that's probably more of a concern on the for the game on Friday. Uh, sorry, for the game on Sunday than the, than the game on Friday. But we'll see. Uh, also, the Hawks play uh, on, on Friday against the Lakers first. That's a 10:30 start. So uh, that's as late as it gets in the NBA world. It is Friday night, but if you are not prone to staying up, I understand that. It's part of why I'm doing a little bit more play. I play a little bit more depth on these podcasts because I know a lot of people cannot stay up that late. Uh, but a 10.30 game on Friday and then a 9 p.m. game on Sunday against the, against the Clippers. So the Hawks have a chance that they were to win both those games to get back to 500. I'm not sure you can project that, but it's certainly doable. The Lakers are not a team that's un- it's unbeatable by any means. The Hawks probably should have beat them last week at home. And the Clippers are better than the Lakers are, but certainly uh, a winnable game as well on Sunday. So we'll have full coverage of all that. I do want to encourage you to catch up on the archive of the podcast. I had a King-centric episode yesterday with Greg Wissinger, but still uh, available there. I had a mailbag episode that dropped on Monday morning. I had a breakdown of the game, um, the Warriors game. That was a crazy one in a lot of ways. They dropped on Tuesday. I've been recording, you know, five times a week probably or so the entire season. So all that stuff's still available on the podcast. And please subscribe to the show across platforms, Apple, Spotify, Odyssey, Google Play, and then also like and subscribe the show on YouTube. I do appreciate all of that. Please spread the word about the podcast. If you know a Hawks fan friend in your life or a family member or something like that has not heard of the podcast yet, put it in front of them. Hopefully they will enjoy the show at some point in time. Please follow the show on Twitter as well at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roll. I'm also writing at patreon.com slash BT Roll if you want to have some written content in your life on the Atlanta Hawks. And I do thank you for listening to the podcast. Hopefully I'm at least slightly coherent as I record this podcast about 2 something a.m. on this Thursday morning. But thanks for being everybody as always. And we'll see you all later in the week.